with a name Flying Scotsman in 1924. It is still the most famous steam locomotive in the world. In 1934, she reached the first official 100 miles an hour on rails. This locomotive is now just approaching 100 years old. It's inevitable that it's got all those stories attached to it. 41 years ago, I saved the locomotive from getting scrapped. 2023 marked 100 years since Flying Scotsman entered service in the UK, an occasion that the National Railway Museum marked with a year-long celebration of the steam locomotive, including the video that you just heard. But for the modern railway and transport network, it's been a challenging time. The COVID-19 pandemic and lockdowns led to a dramatic fall in passengers, and since then, widespread strikes have disrupted services. There's also been questions about the quality of the infrastructure and a push to get carbon emissions down across the transport network. So how do you steer a rail and bus company through that, especially when you have to deal with an accounting scandal as well? I'm Graham Ruddick, and this is Business Leader, a podcast that takes a second look at big business stories. In this episode, we look at the dramatic story behind Go Ahead Group and how to steer a business through a crisis. Go Ahead operates Thameslink railway services in the southeast of England, which accounts for one in four of all passenger railway journeys in the UK, but it also operates bus services in London and across the UK, as well as transport networks in Ireland, Norway, Sweden, Singapore and Australia. Go Ahead has had to deal with the challenges you heard at the start of this podcast episode, but in late 2021, it was also stripped of its contract to operate southeastern trains in the UK and eventually fined £23.5 million by the government. This was because it was discovered that Go Ahead had failed to pay back tens of millions of pounds of taxpayer funding over the previous years that it should have returned. Trading in the shares of Go Ahead had to be suspended because of the scandal. It was into this backdrop that Christian Schreyer became chief executive of Go Ahead. One of his first tasks was to try to resolve this scandal. Two years later, he stood down as chief executive having not only steadied the ship, but overseen the £669 million sale of Go Ahead to two international investors. I spoke to Christian Schreyer in Go Ahead's London offices about how he had taken on this challenge. The, the amount of change was just massive. When I, when I signed my contract in July 2021, it was the South there was only good press about Go Ahead and between signing and I wanted to, it was supposed to start 1st of November, this LSER issue happened, which led to the fact that I already started in September, not as a CEO, but to work for the company to help with the Southeastern topic to understand it. I think we then could bring a lot of transparency to the, to the Department for Transport and also to the public and to help to understand what has happened. Which you also can see, and we, we rebuilt trust, I think, quite well with the DFT. Otherwise, they had not awarded us the GTR contract for six years. 
in, in March 2022. So that was the first part of change to see, okay, we have had a transparency issue in one of the companies to understand why was that and what has to change to ensure that we always act transparent with our stakeholders, with all our stakeholders, because trust is extremely important in our business. So that was the first pillar. Then this, all these discussions led to the, a, a massive drop in, in share price, which then invited interest from in investors because the company was comparably cheap at that time. And then, yeah, we had to re reintroduce a new strategy, the next billion journey, which helped to that uh, the share price started to grow again. And I also think the trust in Go Ahead came back. And since then, we I think we delivered very well on our strategy and have then been taken private in all the process. So a lot of change for two years. So would you say the, the, key, the, key was re, to, the key to rebuilding trust was being more transparent? That is always the key, you know, how, how can you trust if there's no transparency? You can give trust, but in the long run, it's, it's transparency for me. It's always, you know, we, we deal with public money, so there's a responsibility connected to it, and that's transparency. And th th then you still can have different opinions and you, you can have arguments, but no one can blame us for not being honest and transparent. So we have then educated, honest discussions. It's not like that we do not have discussions with our stakeholders. Christian Schreyer grew up in Bavaria in Germany and worked in one of Munich's beer halls while he was at university there. He then went into law before going into the transport industry where he worked for Deutsche Bahn which is the giant state-owned railway company in Germany. At Deutsche Bahn, he led efforts to privatise the business through a stock market float. But then the financial crisis of 2008 changed everything. Beer hall in Munich and bars and restaurants was during my studies. Somehow I had to finance the university. So I'm not from a very big, rich background. So, so I... I worked during studies to finance my study, and I liked working in a, in a beer hall. It's very Bavarian where I'm from. So that was always clear that this will not be for the rest of my life. But I studied law, and I worked as a barrister and solicitor. In Germany, you can be both at the, at the same time. And I was specialized on competition law, anti-competition law. There was a lot of deals connected to this kind of Law and then over the years I saw I don't want to be a consultant for for my for the rest of my life and somehow working as a lawyer is consulting companies and not being responsible for anything and Deutsche Bahn I worked with them already and then I received an offer to join Deutsche Bahn Group in a quite interesting time 1998 was during their second phase of privatization and. Uh, Deutsche Bahn was supposed to be ready for an IPO. And that's why I, why I joined them. It was a time when the, the new CEO, Herbert Medan, joined and he had the clear mandate to privatize the company. I found this quite exciting to be part of such a major transition to form a public authority to make it fit for competition. And then I had different jobs in passenger transportation and services. Before I then 
also became head of corporate strategy and I was the head of the IPO project. So that's how I came into the industry. And then we were just unlucky with our timing. The IPO was planned for the 2nd of October, 2008. It was two weeks after Lehman went bust. So this was just impossible to privatize. So it was still my biggest professional disappointment, I would say. But I loved the industry. And so I always stayed in the industry thereafter. What was that period like? Because I really want to ask you this, because that obviously the timing and what happened around that time was, was, was extraordinary. So when did it become clear that things were not going to play out the way you'd been planning? Yeah, I started in this position 1st of January 2006 as the head of the IPO project. At that time, the stock markets were very robust and were growing every day. and uh, Everyone was interested in, in logistics and transportation. So it looked really... Whereas we have a good timing. 2007 was still a very good year. And then in the beginning of 2008, we saw the first clouds arriving, but we still believed we can make it somehow. After a while, you're in a tunnel. Eh? You, you work 16 hours, 17 hours a day to prepare the IPO. We have done all the pre-roadshows and even the roadshow. We spoke with investors. Everyone was quite excited. But the clouds became darker and darker and more and more. And then already like in August, September, we knew it might be difficult. Yeah, it was just a disappointment because I still believe it would have been the best thing that could have happened to German transportation because this would have meant a stronger separation of infrastructure and operations. And I still believe if you have competition, if you have, if you want to have private participation in the sector, you need to separate the infrastructure from, from the operations. What was it like for you having dedicated that amount of time and, and thinking to that project that, that ended up happening? As I mentioned, it was the, the biggest disappointment in my personal career. Yeah, You see all the work you have done, all the prospectus have been printed. Um, we have been on the roadshow when we, when we were called back. So it was a major disappointment. However, it, it took me a time to realize how much I've learned over this time about stakeholder management, about banking, private sector, IPO. So I learned a massive amount how to, to build an equity story and a strategy. The strategy of Deutsche Bahn thereafter was based on the equity story. So a lot of the work we have done was not in vain, but it took me a while to understand to understand this. And then there was the day when I said, I leave headquarters and I want to go back to operations, really into operation. And shortly thereafter, I left for Poland to build a strong freight rail operator in Eastern Europe, which is today part of the DB Cargo Network and is one of the few profitable companies in, in, in DB Cargo uh, in Poland. So this was then for me the, the solution to say, I want to go into operations, really be close to the daily operations. I, I always enjoy asking CEOs and, and listeners always enjoy hearing the answer to this question, but what what do you know now that you wish you'd learned, you'd known back then and indeed at, at the start of your career? It, it's, a, it's a good question, but I think had I known everything in the start of the career, I, I don't know if this would have been too good because you, 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 your personality gets you know is formed by the experiences you make over time by the mistakes you make um and if you know would know everything in the beginning of the career you would not make mistakes and that's where you learn the most 
from in your development. What what I say is absolutely important as a leadership for me is always be authentic. And it's a bit buzzword, but walk the talk. Be be who you are because that's it's all about leadership. You need to to cooperate with people. You need to give people a purpose, a vision, so that they follow, that they see why do we do the things we do. And that's the most important, but you somehow have to learn it. One of my biggest learning was when I went to Poland, I was head of corporate strategy. I knew everything about the markets. I knew how to develop a strategy. I had all my PowerPoint presentations with me and said, come on, I know it. And then I was there and saw how easy it is to write nice PowerPoint slides and develop a nice strategy and how challenging it is to get it done and to implement it in a system with 6,000 people, many concrete layers, massive amount of unions, and you come with your nice slides and they say, we've seen it all. Another manager wants to, to bring a massive amount of change. Don't listen to it. And then to really onboard the people, to convince them, to bring them with you on the journey. That's the challenge. And that's what you need to learn, not to develop a strategy, but to get the buy-in of people, because otherwise you will never be able to implement it successfully. So that was my learning, but I needed to learn it myself and to make the experience myself. That's really interesting. Do you, do you think too much sort of analysis and, and research is given to strategy and al- rather than the other side of that, which is getting it done and bringing people with you? Uh, yes, you, you need this part. You need the research. You need the strategy. But I always prefer to bring in people into strategy that have seen operations first, then strategy and back to operations so that you know both parts of the world, that you know how your employees feel, what is important for them, how to deal with unions, how to deal with public transport authorities to really understand what is necessary to to make things happen and to to implement it. So I'm, I'm not a friend of silo development to develop people within a silo and, you know, from a junior strategy expert, you become a senior, from a senior, you become a strategy director and you've never seen the real life. But it's also helpful for local managers to have seen headquarter and to understand how important a good strategy is as well. So I I would recommend everyone to not always stay in their silo if they really want to develop. Given Christian Schreyer has led rail and bus services around the world, he is ideally placed to comment on the state of the UK's transport network. His views may surprise you. The train network and the train system in the UK works quite good compared to other countries, especially the, the commuter commuter trains. However, it's the most expensive one, so it works quite well. They have good timetables, punctualities compared to other countries in Europe, very good. One must not forget how complex railway is. You have the infrastructure operator and you have, you have all the signaling technique, you have the operators, you have the maintenance. It's extremely complex systems. People underestimate it. And the UK manages it quite well. However, we need to increase efficiency in the system because the prices in the UK to use 
trains compared to other countries are just outrageously expensive. And that's something that's maybe the next day. Quality is good and now increase efficiency. That's train. And let's go to buses. I haven't seen many cities that have a better bus network than London. You have a bus every five to eight minutes downtown. Um, but even in the suburbs, you have regular bus services. They're quite reliable, better than most other cities. Just on that point about price and efficiency, and, and, and this is an incredibly complex question with multiple answers, but I'm just interested in your view. What things can be done to get that price down? I mean, for you as a company, for example, I mean, you help set those prices. So what can you do to get those prices down and what, what needs to change? We always have to, as I said, differentiate between bus and train. Buses are not so much more expensive than somewhere else. It's really the train system that is so expensive. And it's not the train operating companies defining the prices. And I think we need to reintroduce more competition again in rail. With this management contract, the incentive for train operating companies to reduce costs and increase efficiencies are really limited because you you, you define a budget every year with the DFT and then you have to deliver on that and, and if you want to change something you need approval from the department from transport so we lost a bit this competition that helps to increase efficiency that brings innovation to the table because there's no incentive anymore to invest in innovation because you will not benefit from it so we need to come back to more competition in the system to lower prices and increase efficiency for example I know it's a big discussion currently to close ticket offices, but somehow from an international perspective, it's an absolutely awkward discussion in a world of digitalization. We keep ticket offices open. In, I'm not speaking about St. Pancras station. I speak about rural little stations where you sell four or five tickets a day, but you hire two full-time employees for the whole day to sell four tickets even so there's a nice ticket vending machine next to it and in the 21st century you can have video discussions so you someone from a central service center can help you to buy the right ticket you don't need to have someone in the station this you wouldn't see that outside of england there is no ticket offices anymore people 95 percent of tickets or 90 percent of tickets are paid digital bought online or on a ticket vending machine or in abonnements. But we refuse a bit to modernize the system in the UK, which is, in my opinion, necessary. How challenging is it for you to run a business where the opportunities for innovation are clear, but there is a there is the issue of bringing the staff with you and what is a heavily unionized workforce as well, who... Uh, it may, you know, there's there's challenges with doing that. There are challenges, but you will never hear me blaming unions because I think there is also a good balance of power somehow. So I grew up in this industry. I'm in, I'm in the transportation industry since almost 30 years. And it always was a unionized business and it's everywhere. And then it nevertheless has developed quite well. For me, it's always as long, the more local the unions are, the more they're integrated in the company, the, the more fruitful the cooperation is. It's sometimes tough and sometimes tough discussions. How to motivate them to help to increase efficiency in exchange for, for better better payment conditions, better salaries. Because most union people that I've met, they are interested in representing 
the workers, but also interested in, in, in the faith of the company because it, somehow it's linked. If, if the company fails, if the company doesn't develop, there is no possibility to, 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 to pay their employees better. It always gets difficult when you have, when it starts to become, to become political. Sometimes unions, sometimes the central organization of London interferes if we have regional negotiation, then it becomes difficult because it's hard for us to solve political issues of a union that need certain successes that want to change the industry. But we as an operator in a, in a regional area are not able to do that. Then it becomes difficult because then you cannot discuss with them with arguments anymore. But usually we always found a way after a way to, to come to our, an agreement. We haven't had strikes for a long time. That might be difficult this year in, in the one or the other region. But I think it's a big part of our job as management in the, in the transportation industry to also cooperate and sometimes fight with the unions. It's a, sometimes, most of the time it's healthy. What, how, how, just following up that last point, I mean, how do you deal with it as, as a manager then? How do you approach it over the last year, for example, when there's been strikes on, on your services? How do you as a manager deal with that and deal with your relationship with, with the workforce? We, we have to differentiate again be, between rail, which is heavily centralized, heavily political, and it's also not the train operating companies that are in the lead of the discussion. So it's difficult for us to influence it. Here, it's really more to be prepared for the strikes to ensure that we have skeleton timetables, that we inform passengers properly, that we are in an, a constant exchange with our workforce and a, a, a discuss with them and listen to them and keep them motivated. It's also not easy for them to be on strike. And then the bus part, which is really union and oper bus operating company that discuss with another, that have to find solutions and it's less political, less department for transport against a big union. It's more union discusses with the local company. And then I don't want to interfere, interfere from London as well. I leave it to the local MDs. One of our, I would say, success factors in Go Ahead is that we follow a very devolved model. I want accountable local managing directors because they know the workforce much better than I do. They know the local union reps much better than I do. They know the passenger needs in the region much better than I do. So I really leave it to them. We discuss certain guidelines and we get discuss objectives. But within that framework, they are accountable. And this also counts for the union relations. Uh, and that model presumably allows much more transparent negotiations and conversations does it? Absolutely. And that also allows to take into account regional specification. In London, you need to pay a bus driver more than in a rural area in the north because the cost of living is so much higher. And the competition for workforce, but also the, the possibility to, we have a better revenue stream. So we can afford more in, in, in cities like London. And we have to do something different than in a rural area. So there is not one size fits all. And that's why I believe in this devolved model. It was publicly announced in October 2023 by the new owners of Go Ahead that Christian Schreyer would stand down as chief executive. A few weeks later, I caught up with him again to see how he reflected back on his eventful period in charge. It was a period 
with a lot of challenges, very exciting, massive change in two years, change that other companies might see in five or 10 years, but not in a period of two years. And if you ask for my feelings, I'm a bit sad and proud at the same time what we as a team have achieved. Sad, I thought it will be for longer. And I still see a lot of development opportunities of the companies. But now I wish my successor all the best to pursue this growth path that they have planned and that the company you know, is ready to do. A, go ahead, is a very well-positioned company, has all it takes to continue the growth path. And I'm pretty sure that the new management will be able to deliver this. What advice would you give to your successor? <laughs> he, he, he will know it himself. But my advice clearly is we are service business and our business is all about the people. Try to keep this devolved model. Try to keep motivated and accountable regional managing directors who are close to the business because this is what made, what made GoHead strong. What, what would you say was your biggest achievement? What are you most proud of? I would say to develop the culture in such a short period. Everything else was really action and teams have done something together, but to develop this culture and the spirit of collaboration that everyone helped everyone. Even so, we had devolved independent entities. If, if in case it was necessary, they helped one another. And the mobilization of Manchester is for me the best example where all the regional um, opcos have supported Manchester. They have sent them drivers, engineers, managers to ensure that the mobilization uh, wasn't a success. Uh, and what next? What next for you? It's a, a long holiday first. <laughs> it was really not only the last two years in, in Go Ahead have been intensive, also eight years before in, in, in Transdev. And I haven't had a long holiday for 28 years or so. <laughs> so it's really like four or five months holidays. And then I have some ideas. They, they are within the industry. I did spend my whole life in logistics and transportation. But I will focus a bit more on non-executive roles and senior advising. How, how different did the job end up being compared to what you expected? Because so many things have, have happened over, over the period. How, how different was it compared to expectations? It's difficult. It's really difficult to say. It was, if you're in a private ownership, there's a different stakeholder management than if you're in a public environment. And that's maybe the biggest difference is the, the difference in, in stakeholder management but it's a bit i don't know who said it but life is what happens when you do have when you have other plans and that's a bit the same running a company you need to be agile and uh, adapt to the to change in, in the environment and that's that's what we did and so it's always different than you expect it to be let's say like that you've been listening to Business Leader with me, Graham Ruddick. Our producer is Anushka Tate. For more business news and analysis, please visit businessleader.co.uk or sign up to our newsletter, Off to Lunch, at offtolunch.substack.com.